Welcome back to the Lars Resort, which is still a podcast with myself, Lars Stevenson, brought to you by Betson. We're continuing today with, with part two of our big chat with Torquestian Carlson, uh, our run through of his list of the top 39 players aged 21 and under. The list is hotting up. There's some really interesting names uh, to look at today. So some names you'll be familiar with, some some names you're maybe not that familiar with. And uh, I mean, like I said last time, having an experienced uh, recruitment professional talk us through the best young players in the world put us and, and, and for him to put aside some proper time to do it. I mean, I'm, I certainly think this is tremendous content. I hope you enjoy it as well. I always do feel like I learn stuff from speaking with Tukestian, and, and this chat was no different. I hope it's the same for you guys. And with that, through the magic of editing, we're going to hop straight into it. And we're back uh, with the eminent Mr. Tukestian Carlson for the second half of the top 39 players under 21. And we're going to crack straight onto it, because as it turns out from the first episode, we... We we can go on a bit. Gonna <laughs> try to keep it flowing this time. Uh, but at number twenty, this one is interesting. Not that the other ones aren't, but this one is interesting. It's Andre Santos. I think a lot of listeners are interested uh, in this guy. One of the many, many, many uh, young or youngish players Chelsea have brought in since the new owners took over. Um, his uh, previous club was Vasco da Gama in Brazil. I'm guessing he's probably the name on the list here. People have watched the least. I think that's probably fair to say. Very much include myself in this. So what kind of player is Andre Santos? First and foremost, it's a particularly interesting case because he's only previously played um, second tier in Brazil, in Serie B. Mm. And um, I have to admit that uh, I was curious because I, I had been following him you know with a half an eye uh, over the past half a year and um, you know he was comp- outstanding um, in in uh, for Vasco da Gama and he will play there until the summer he didn't get the work permit so um, he will only join Chelsea um, in July but um, it's the second tier you know yeah, and I was always wondering, you know, it, are these this skillful player? You know, he looks so, you know, extraordinary. Um, is he going to take that to another level? So, yeah, I watched the South American Under Twenty Championship with great interest, and it didn't take long before you understood that Chelsea got themselves a bargain here because they bought him prior to the tournament, and I think if they'd waited, he would have. He could have cost, you know, double or three times the price they ended. I think they paid £10 million for him. In terms of um, abilities and skills and, um, you know, to try to draw a picture of the player, he's so energetic, Lush. And and, um, it's hard to pinpoint, you know, his main strengths because he's kind of eight out of ten all across the board. Wow. And it's very hard to work out um, what his shortcomings are. And I think we will find out once he joins, you know, European senior top-level football. And maybe the pace will be the the kind of stuff that he does week in, week out in Brazil. He might struggle to to have that come off on a weekly basis in the Premier League with a high yeah. intensity and the pressing and... and um, you know, spaces are tighter, and um, you you come up against 
you know, tactically more sophisticated opposition. But the raw material is, um, I think, extraordinary and is something of a, by definition, is a defensive midfielder. But he's so, but he's not the typical Brazilian number five, like Gilberto Silva, you know, that kind of, that would just sit in front of the back, um, you know, the centre-backs and protect them and play it simple and then mm. and uh, but he joins the attack and he he roams a lot he he presses he's an excellent ball carrier and uh, he's got a great shot on him as well excellent header of the ball and um, you know place combinations technically very very good practical you know he's, he's not a flashy player in the sense that mm. you know he would show off or do things just for the sake of it but uh, again, there's something very constructive and productive, and there's always an idea, you know, um, productive idea behind his actions. And not not only was he the top uh, the top player of the South American Championship, the Brazil won. He was the captain, and I think he was the second highest scorer as well. I think he scored wow. six, six goals. <laughs> And most of them are basically um, late runs into the box. Mm. You know, well-timed, with power, with intent, can finish with his left, with his right, headers, as I already mentioned. Um, Takes free kicks, I think, direct free kicks. So just a very, very complete midfielder. And I'm intrigued to see where Chelsea might play him. I would imagine that he would be more of a number eight in the Premier League because Mm. it's in his nature to... To be to be, to be on the move is not a as I said it's not a stationary kind of tactical player. So I would imagine that he will play like a number eight in front of Enzo Fernandez or whoever might play as the pivot. Yeah, um, because that, that 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 is kind of interesting. Let's get into that a little bit because assuming I mean the guy is the guy is eighteen and is going to move from the second tier in Brazil to to the Premier League. So we're going to have to allow for some period of adaptation. Uh, for for getting used to the level, all this sort of thing. But let's assume that the that uh, a player with his profile that he settles in the Premier League that he's going to play be playing regularly for Chelsea at some point. Uh, from the sounds of it, yeah, as the number eight. Whereas Enzo Fernandez, of course, is a really interesting player in that he likes to pick up the ball in kind of deep positions. But you also want to give him a bit of freedom to drift around. So, so you wonder if, if, if a two with them two, how that would work. Maybe you kind of want a number six behind them to just kind of sit there and kick everyone. I don't know. But it does sound like him and Enzo together in some kind of capacity, whether you bolster that with an extra midfielder or not. It sounds really exciting. It certainly does. Um, but I, I see also that Enzo Fernandez now, he didn't feature on the list because he turned... Um, he would have certainly been in the top ten, but he, I think he he turned um, twenty two in in January. I see his kind of um, he he's he has adapted his game slightly at Chelsea. He's more of a kind of deep lying playmaker now than he was at um, Benfica, where he had a lot of uh, liberty to to um, to break forward and to even go wide and to kind of more or less do as he as he pleased he had um uh, you know um a more kind of defined defensive midfielder anchor man next to him so that mm. gave him a bit more freedom but so i would assume 
that uh, Andre Santos will be operating in a more kind of a number eight role um, because you want that ability to get into the box and you you don't want to put a straight jacket on him because he's got so much energy and so much power and um, you know natural natural willingness to express himself and you cool. you don't want to put that um, put brakes on him but um, like, will we'll be interesting to see how long it might take for him to to become a regular. Well, the funny thing is, I kind of feel that way about Enzo Fernandez as well. Even if he might be happy to sit deep, I feel like that's kind of wasting some of his quality as well. So, But then again, if you're going to put an extra six in, you have so many sort of vaguely attacking players you want to put in that team as well. A lot of stuff for Graham Potter to figure out uh going forward this is going to be an exciting thing to follow one way or the other at number 90 uh piero hincapi um of of Bayer leverkusen and, and and ecuador of course is a player i seem to recall that you've been you've been um, intrigued by for a while yeah he's um again was uh catapulted straight into the team when he signed uh, last summer or the summer before, this is his second season at Leverkusen. Had only played uh, in Ecuador and in in uh, Argentinian football, but um, didn't take much. Didn't take a lot of time before he was even a you know dominating season Bundesliga defender. And what's very exciting about him is obviously his uh, natural aggression, um, which can go over the top sometimes. He's been sent off twice this season. Mm. But he plays a bit on the edge. He he uh, he likes to <clears throat> anticipate. He's very good at it to break, um, you know, to nip in in front of the um, of the opponent, and then he can even set off on, you know, adventures um, or more attacking adventures, which sometimes can result in him losing ball, losing the ball high up the pitch. But playing as a left kind of centre back in a back three. There are there's another two centre backs there to um, to um, make up for his um, attacking prowess. But um, I think technically good, Lars. He's mm. quick. Um, can also play as a um, wing back, left back. Left foot is good. Um, his passing, you know, passing skills are good. Can cross the ball too. And I think this. So Chelsea ended up with signing Badia Shield, which is was I think excellent signing too. Um, but I know that most of the European top clubs are looking for a left-footed centre back to play in a back three, and he is on the short list of um, you know most of those kind of well-recognised Champions League elite teams. He does sound like he's ideally suited to that left-sided uh, center half role in quite an attacking back three team. You know, he has the drive to get forward down the flank. Uh, he has the physicality to be dominant in the in the challenges as as a defender. Um, I mean, from the sounds of it, it'd be funny to see him uh, play with there for Spurs. You know, him on the left, Romero on the right, and some kind of emotional support man in the middle to sort of try to settle them the, <laughs> <laughs> to settle them the hell down. <laughs> it could be exciting. Uh, I'd like to see it, though, from the sounds of it. He might be on the radar of even bigger and wealthier clubs. Number 18 is interesting, is, is very, very interesting. The Danes are very excited about this man. Of course, the Danish have had a good national team for a while, but they've kind of lacked a central striker 
in that group, how they found him in our number 18, Rasmus Heulun. I think he gave us the answer uh, last week during the international um, the internationals. I think he made his um, second and third outing for for Denmark and scored five goals. Okay, it was against Finland and Kazakhstan, but you can't really ask for for more than um, though, can you, Lars? Not at all, not at all. And it's uh, of course Atalanta paid quite a lot of money for him. Uh, something like yeah, I think you've got 17 uh, million euros here signing them for Sturm Graz and really anytime you're spending 17 million on someone from the Austrian league and not someone from Abbey Salzburg I think people <laughs> will be scratching their heads a little bit but it is one of those truisms I guess in in scouting and international football is that when Atalanta put up that kind of transfer fee for someone that's not without having done due diligence and that's the scouting department that typically know what they're doing. Absolutely. And um, I have to admit that um, it came as a slight surprise. Um, I think I was more surprised by the transfer fee rather than Atalanta um, signing a young Danish player. But 17 million is, uh, you know, 15 million pounds is, uh, is a substantial um, signing. And I think it took him some time to adjust to Serie A. Um, the first half of the season, he was, you know, in and out of the team. He played a little bit um, wide as well, which he can do um, in the front three. So he can cut in on his left foot. Um, but um, I think, you know, for a player with his physical makeup and his natural um, attributes, I think it's he's ultimately center forward and it's the i think for a player that is you know 190 plus you would expect you would expect him to be uh, you know classic center forward but it is the pace here and the penetri- penetrative <laughs> pace as well because mm-hmm. most center forwards or strikers would always try to identify the weak side of a center back or full back whatever um, to bring them out of balance and to challenge them and try to to go past. But Hölen is so quick that you even see him if he plays against a, a high line and there's a transition. Atalanta win the ball and play a ball deep for him to chase onto, or even play to his feet against the high line. He would just run in between the centre backs. Hmm. He would just, <laughs> you know. And and he's so quick and so quick with the ball, and um, backed up with his uh, you know natural strength as well. Uh, it's almost impossible to stop him when he's in that, those kind of situations. And obviously, he has been uh, likened to Holland for those. <laughs> yeah, I, I, those I was particular qualities. I was going to say it. We have here a uh, six foot plus Nordic striker with a sort of blondish hair who is so freakishly fast, he just runs away from defenders and they can't really stop him. This seems familiar. I feel like I've heard this story before. <laughs> there are certainly um, similarities. Um, yes. Left-footed. And um, although I think... Um, well, well, we'll see what... You know, 
what Hulun is up to next, but I, I wouldn't expect him to stay at um, Atalanta for very long because these players are rare and um, they, you know, given the characteristics, every every of every one of the eight, ten, twelve top, you know, well-off clubs in the world would would be looking at him. I'm quite sure and. Uh, so um, I think maybe already in the summer there might be there might be a bit of a chase for him. Well, I, I mean, I noticed that during the World Cup uh, because I was you know doing daily broadcasts and I just lost track of the number of times I said, "Well, this team is really good, but they could really do with a big striker who scores goals." <laughs> it's like there is a massive shortage, uh, isn't there, at the highest highest levels? I guess because it's a very demanding role these days. Uh, but so yeah, he fulfills those criteria, and uh, Atalanta could be making a profit of, of him already quite soon. The way it's it's going, number seventeen, interesting to have a, 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 an, another Spanish uh, player, a Basque player, Nico Williams. Yeah, I think it's um, on merit that he gets into the top twenty. Um, it's high. It's pretty high. It's higher than maybe yeah. I would have thought. He's. Um... He's been threatening to break out properly over the past couple of seasons. He's shown off his, uh, again, uh, you know, the need footwork, the speed. Um, it's a winger, of course. Um, can play on either wing. He's, you know, he's almost 50-50 in terms of um, ambidextrity. So mm. he can he can go either way of the defender. And again, he's an excellent finisher. Good, um, good shooting ability with either foot too, and uh, I think it's the athleticism combined with um, with the physical strength and uh, you know quick, quickly executed um, offensive actions and makes him very very exciting. And also, you know, his impact can sometimes drop a little bit throughout the game, and he plays in bursts to a certain extent, but. Um, Overall, I think it's a player that's made massive improvements this season, also tactically, and his defensive work rate has, has um, improved too. There's still a bit of work to be done in the in the defensive department, but it's more down to efficiency and defensive technique, if you like, rather than willingness to to track back. So I, I guess uh, um, so. It, it, as, as it usually does, it falls to me to be a little bit more sort of tabloidy here. But it it, it seems like he is um, he has a lot of the qualities that we are obviously very familiar with from his older brother, uh, but is a little bit more technically polished. Has a bit more of that uh, that cleverness on the ball and in tight spaces. That's fair. I think that's a good um, good assessment, Lars. And um, it, again, I think this. You know, to succeed at the highest level of international football and top top half, you know, major leagues, you need that mixture that has got a little bit of unpredictability, quick, uh, efficient technique and the athleticism. And, and it's got all that. Next player on a list, I, mean, I guess this is turning into a theme here, but players who have impressed under slightly challenging circumstances... <laughs> I think number 16, another tremendous example, Benoit Badiashil, who who certainly I was aware of as being a very, very talented young defender, of course. And so I wasn't surprised when Chelsea picked him up, but I have been surprised by just how quickly he's looked, he, he's gone into that team and looked uh, very, very impressive. 
I totally agree. And um, yeah, he, I think his arrival was kind of coincided with a really miserable spell at Chelsea. And uh, Graham Potter was under a lot of pressure and he was he had reverted to a back four, I think, at some time there after the Nottingham Forest uh, game. And I think Badia Seal kind of gave him the, was the perfect instrument, if you can use that word for a football player, to to play his preferred back three. And mm. he does it so well. And I think player by player, I think that back three now with Badia Seal, Koulibaly and Fofana, I, I think <laughs> on paper, I think it's, you can't ask for more really. I think the, the variation in the qualities also extreme pace, physical um, qualities, bit of experience with Koulibaly in the middle, although he hasn't, you know, covered himself in glory so far. But I guess with these two more mobile, uh, quick, um, technically good defenders next to him, I think that that's gonna, they're going to reap rewards from that. And, and also, I'm, I'm impressed by the way he's kind of, he looks so unfazed by the... Um, you know, by the challenges that usually are posed upon the newly arrived, <laughs> newly arriving centre backs in the Premier League. You know, no, absolutely, because the intensity and the pace is higher. That's undeniable, and um, and he's also adapted his game slightly because in France, I think the main doubts that people had um, in terms of whether to shell out, how much was it in the end? About thirty-five million pounds. Who uh, knows? It's it's, it's bowling ball. It could be anything. <laughs> I think the official fee was around thirty-five million pounds, and I think the doubts that people had uh, mainly revolved around his little, slightly laid-back uh, style, and some people would might describe it as arrogant or a little bit extra kind of flamboyant type of defender but at Chelsea he's you know he's kind of taken that bit out he's got mm. rid of those uh, you know he, he ta- the risk he doesn't take high risks in the passing he, he, he plays it kind of safe now um so it's Maybe. like he's almost acknowledged that, okay, I'm in the Premier League here. We need to get serious. We need to dial it down a bit, focus on the basics. Also known as the reverse and dumbbelly. <laughs> I, uh, I think progressively we're, gonna, we're going to see more of that. We're going to see more line-breaking passes from the back. We're going to see him venturing forward a little bit more because he's also a very, very good football player. Um, and I think that will come out eventually. But it was very sensible to, you know, get you acclimatize, um, learn about the Premier League, focus on the defending, and then build from there. And I think that's what he's doing. Well, um, it's interesting that you mention Koulibaly, because, of course, an incredible player for Napoli uh, for many years has struggled to to transform that transmit that form into the premier league so far i think uh, todd bowley came out with this i thought this was really fascinating todd bowley said a few months back that he'd spoken to koulibaly and he koulibaly had apparently said in Serie A, you think and then you run whereas in the premier league you think while you're running <laughs> which I, I 
I get is a good line, uh, and I guess that's something that can be challenging for a guy in his thirties to to get used to. But but it's then very. I mean, the same. I guess is probably true to an extent in in, in France. It's impressive how quickly he's settled, uh, and hopefully, I mean, you're right that back back three. If Koulibaly can kind of get to grips with it a little bit more. We know what a majestic defender he can be at his best. That would be quite something. And then it's the ageless Thiago Silva, of course, would be an option in the middle, having the two young bucks to protect him. That could be good. Number 15, uh, a player I think everyone knows since the World Cup, unless you you know didn't watch that, but uh, Gonzalo Ramos, the, the man who took Cristiano Ronaldo's starting spot in the knockouts for Portugal and immediately scored a hat-trick. Uh, what an impact he had on the world stage there. And he has also been scoring just a bucket, uh, a bucket, many buckets of goals. <laughs> a big a sort of, yeah, a big pile of buckets uh, outside the hardware store full of goals uh, for Benfica this season. Gonzalo Ramos, uh, you put him at number 15. A uh, very, um, uh, it's a pretty, works pretty hard. He can move. He's he's kind of tough as well as as a player. And, uh, of course, there's probably a lot of fun playing up front for Benfica these days because they do create a lot of chances. It's uh, just another example uh, of um, Benfica knowing what they're doing. <laughs> so they shipped off uh, Darwin Nunes to Liverpool for record fee or something close to, and then they just tweaked a little bit and moved Gonzalo Ramos, who was playing a little bit to the left last season mm. and moved him up front and then the rest is history but it's a it's another proper breakout story because last season yeah you could see that uh, you know there were, he had a lot about him um you you summed it up well you know his his um physicality is um there for everyone to see he his movements are good especially inside the box, how he pulls away from defenders in the right moments, how he times his runs. Many of his goals come from um, what you might call tap-ins, uh, but there's some work, there's obviously some work uh, to be done in terms of movement to get into those positions. Um, but he's also a good dribbler. Um, and, you know, his footwork is quick and efficient. Um, his aerial game is improving too, and he's quick. Can run off the shoulder of um, uh, of a centre back. Um, pretty, pretty complete player, I'd say. And the, and the, the, the astonishing thing is that well, his xG per per ninety minutes is 0. 0.75, as it stands now, which is uh, pretty impressive. But it takes um, it takes three sh- uh, shots. On average, per ninety minutes, which is high, mm. and that tells me that this is <laughs> a lot more to come from him. Yeah, in in terms of goal scoring, um, and that's on the back of a um, already pretty, pretty impressive um, goal scoring um, exploits this season. I think he's got over twenty so far this season in the league, and um, I'm quite confident that he's going to add to that. I mean, not just add to that this season, but on next season, you might see him hitting the mid-30s. So so I 
my sort of mental image of these players is obviously a lot less detailed and refined than than yours. But like my the first thing I think about and the first set of images I have in my head when I think about Gonzalo Ramos is him sort of attacking crosses, attacking pull, full, uh, attacking fullbacks. That would be bad. Attacking uh, cutbacks. <laughs> you don't don't want him attacking fullbacks all the time. But the, the, but he's always on the front foot. It seems he's one of those strikers, very alert. Uh, always waiting for the ball to drop to him, I guess, which is why he scores a lot of tap-ins because he's he's pays attention and he makes sure he's in the right position. I, I guess the thing I would question and maybe ask well, uh, is how confident are you that that can be transferred to a team where maybe the chances are a little bit harder to come by because you can't get away from the fact that this is a very slick Benfica team really going really well under Roger Schmidt playing very good football and being the center forward there, you, you get a lot of help from the guys around you. My instinct tells me that um, he'll be fine. I mean, there are some issues there, like you rightfully point out, that he's playing in a very well-functioning, smooth team. And um, the Portuguese league is also renowned for high-scoring center forwards. Mm. But I think there's there's just so much quality there, uh, Lars. And um, you also you said he plays on the front foot, which he does. And there's some so much enthusiasm there. You know, mm. he, he he just enjoys all players enjoy scoring, of course. But for him, it's like he seems to be on a, always to be on a mission. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, of like, course. And he's trying, and he, he makes the runs, and he's he's always on the move, and he's he's so uh, proactive in his. Um, in this um, style and application, I, I, I think again it's going to be interesting to see because he obviously Benfica is never the end station for top uh, potentially top level players, regardless of position or nationality or age. But um, it, it's going to be very fascinating to see where he eventually ends up. Yeah, no, sure will be um, a, a team that is an end station for some players. Is it that for this player? We'll see. But at uh, number 14, from Paris Saint-Germain, the very, very, very attacking left-back, Nuno Mendes, who, of course, uh, may be more of a wing-back than a full-back, but certainly a player who can just absolutely uh, cause havoc on the left flank if left unchecked. Yeah, PSG have um, mainly played with the back three this season, and um, for him, that's been, that's, you know, suits him perfectly the, you know not just because it offers him protection um with a with the other center back but um he lets him start or receive the ball even higher up the pitch and what i really like about him is the fact that he can he can cut inside he can you know his runs through the middle are very impressive on even on his right foot is technically good he turns so quickly lush mm. you know even if it's in a tight spot he gets out of it very very quickly through means of nutmegs and quick combinations and just like flash uh, unpredictable movement. And I also think that in a pretty bizarre PSG season and in a bit of a volatile environment. It's very like, unusual. You don't expect that from that team. You know, it's usually all very settled there. Yeah. Um, and even in that kind of setting, I think he's, he's proved to be one of the more stable and reliable players i think also defensively he has um improved uh quite a lot pressing game is better um again he plays higher up the pitch so he can press obviously can also press higher up the pitch and he's um you know if you look at it 
<laughs> of all the kind of top names and stars and um, you know world famous players that PSG have signed, maybe pound for pound, Nuno Mem, this might turn out to be one of the most successful transfers of the last decade. This is surprising, really, that there are not more. Uh, PSG players on this list and maybe that's part of their problem really <laughs> in, in a lot of ways uh, certainly this is the kind of player that you should be bringing in <laughs> if you are PSG <laughs> and you have the kind of budgets they have and you can pick and choose from all the best young players in the world at 13 uh, you're in timber of, of Ajax a center half who's been linked with pretty much everywhere everyone but he is still at Ajax and he he makes it as high as 13th on the list um he was up there last season as well. Um, most people might have expected that he'd he'd left in that kind of exodus that happened last summer. I think five or six of their top names um, set sail for 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 pretty big clubs around the the continent and the islands. But yeah, he's still there. He's doing pretty much what he has been doing over the past. Two or three years since he's since he um, became a regular. Some people might have expected that Ten Hag would have taken him to uh, Manchester United, maybe even instead of Lisandro Martinez. But um, Ten Hag tends to know what he's doing, so mm. I don't know if it was the left foot of Martinez what that was the decisive factor. But still, large it's you know pretty much all that you want from a from a modern centre back. The pace. The, the the composure on the ball, um, the mentality, um, and ability to play play forward passes from the back without too much of a you know detrimental risk factor. But I would maybe ask you this again. This is a challenge of judging these things. That's always going to be an issue. But for players from leagues like this, but how confident are you that he can play? as a defender, as a centre-half, in a more demanding league? Because it's not the hardest gig in Hollywood to be the ball-playing centre-half for Ajax. <laughs> well, we, we we had the same conversation um, earlier regarding Gravenberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and he the... has to fend for himself. He has to be released from captivity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, find his own food. You know, all this sort of stuff. Can he do it? But the adaptability of Ajax players uh, when they move on, I tend to think that it is a little bit easier for centre-backs. Um, they always got the, the game in front of them. Um, they're not necessarily, as much as he's a, he's a kind of a strategic ball-playing centre-back, he's not the, the main playmaker or the, you know, somebody who glues the, the team together which Gravenbark is. And that's why I think maybe for central midfielders, it gets a bit more, you're a bit more tied to the Ajax way of doing things. But what what makes me quite optimistic about um, Timber's prospects would be the one against one defending, which is excellent. So it's not just a matter of organization or having, you know, the support of a, particularly good centre-back next to you, which he had last year with Martinez. But he's, um, the, the only caveat here is obviously his height. That's why I'm pointing out mm. that perhaps ideally you'd like to see him uh, playing as a right, um, right-sided right centre-back in a back three or even a right-back. And I know that there's this endless debate about players that aren't 
six six foot or there or thereabouts aren't able to head the ball, which is that is probably a, a still that discussion is never gonna is never gonna leave. But um, his heading game is his aerial game is not particularly great, um, and mm. I think I pointed out in the piece as well that he has a fifty five win rate in the air. Although that might not be his obvious duties. So mm. when you play in a pairing or you play in a in a back four with a more physical centre back, taller one next to you, that might be the player who goes for the aerial duels with more mm. with a higher frequency. So those numbers might also be so uh, slightly um, you know twisted picture, but 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 still it it is an issue, but I still think if you just look at the the characteristics and the qualities of the player, I, I believe he belongs at the top end. And I would be surprised if um, somebody wouldn't make a pretty lucrative offer for him in the summer already. Last. It would be interesting to see who that is. God, I'm noticing the time is going away. Hey, good Lord. There's so much interesting things to talk about all of these players, but we got to rattle on a little bit here. At 12... Anzu Fati is an interesting case. I guess one of those who unbelievably gifted, and but it just hampered by the injury, uh, being a little bit in and out. It's very, very competitive in terms of getting minutes for Barcelona and the, those wide forward roles. They have a few decent players. But someone whose potential, I think, is completely undisputed. If he can stay fit, if he can... Uh, if he can you know, come to grips with everything, you wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, as well. Another player who could be very, very high on the list uh, next year, although, of course, 12 is pretty high in itself. Uh, last year, we left him out um, simply because of the injury and he didn't have enough games to to kind of undergo a proper due diligence mm-hmm. um, for this uh, for this project. Um and I, I'd say that twelve is probably generous, based on on performances, um, on mainly on performances this season. But here, the the potential um, aspect of it kicks in properly, because it is a generational talent. There's no question about that in terms of phys- um, technical quality, understanding of the game. He's finishing, although he's just scored three La Liga goals this season, but I think he's, fin- he's a very underrated finisher. And the way he scores uh, always with composure and picks its, his spot has clearly a very advanced um, picturing technique before he mm. be- before he play, um, fires the shot, can take adjustive touches just to deceive uh, the defenders. The combinational skills, the precision in his um, in his layoffs and the dings through are top top level. But like you said, it's um, I think it's a matter of uh, getting more playing time now. Possibly, who knows? Move on loan, mm. play week in week out, get more ninety minutes under his belt. And um, I'm not hundred percent sure how much. Um, I can't say with certainty that uh, the injuries are still an issue here, but. Um, mm. You know, having had that serious meniscus injury, you know, um, that might be a factor. Although when I've seen him post-injury, I don't think, you know, the flex- flexibility seems to be there. and The pace is um, 
is still breathtaking. So I don't know. As I said, I, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a medical uh, PhD holder, but yeah. um, I, I, yeah. I like. I, I guess he stands out to me when I watch Barcelona, which is not as often as some, but I do watch them and. He kind of breaks the pattern a little bit, you know. They, they, they obviously we don't need to go through that, but Barcelona they do what they do. They move the ball beautifully around. They control possession always, all the time. And sometimes you just want someone to to break that pattern a little bit and shoot when there is a possibility to lay off, you know, and just be a little bit selfish. And he he certainly does that, I think, to to an extent. And you know, the talents there. Uh, hopefully the injuries haven't hampered him too much. Another Barcelona player at 11th, Alejandro Balde, who who has really had had quite a year, and 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 is now uh, a, a really important uh, player for them. Again, I was um, when I saw him in his first appearances, I I thought, is he just thrown in now because of the because of pure necessity? You remember he was thrown in with with a few others during that pretty wild um, autumn, <laughs> yeah. in which Barcelona had uh, all sorts of troubles. Coleman was uh, was the coach, and he he fast tracked half a dozen youngsters into the first team, and they all kind of most of them just settled immediately. And with Balde, I was um, he might have arrived a little bit later, so. For the educated listener, if I'm just getting some details wrong here, please, um, please be kind to me. But um, there were, I had some doubts. Um, you know, he was a bit casual in his passing. Um, the playing, playing out from the back aspect wasn't perfect. Um, and I think the Barcelona, the other defenders were, a bit reluctant to give him the ball because they're worried about, you know, the rhythm of the of the um, playing out uh, from behind bit. But that's come on uh, massively as well. And then there's the again athleticism, technical ability, physicality. Now he plays ninety minutes after ninety after ninety. Even in the eighty ninth minute, you can see him making those um, energy sapping runs uh, forward. And the link of play on the last third, I think, have improved. His crossing is improving. He used to just kind of, um, it was a bit uh, a bit one-dimensional at some point. He just used mm. to kind of hit it, loft it without much much precision. But um, you saw in the classical where he, he just hit it along the ground. It was kind of a bit of a mix of a cutback and a and a cross mm, and mm, low mm. and um and that obviously led to the to the goal in injury time but what 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 the season Lars? and yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, a absolutely. player that came a year ago he was in barcelona b and now he's possibly the best well at least top five left back in the world if not top three all right well that means that that was the end of that that's an interrupter we've we reached top 10 and this is the magic of editing again. This is me recording this a couple of days later. This seems like a good place to split it as we've gotten to the top 10. And again, as you can tell, the chat went long. It went pretty long. It couldn't just be two episodes. Uh, and uh, some really interesting names, like I said, in that one, particularly enjoyed that mini scouting report on Andres Santos, who I was completely unfamiliar with. But he seems like a really exciting prospect for Chelsea, uh, provided, of course, he can make the step up and adjust to the Premier League, all of the usual caveats. But him and Enzo Fernandez. 
could be a pretty exciting partnership in midfield for Chelsea. I mean, we, I, I think we spoke about it in the Chelsea episode, didn't we? It's not that... I mean, they've thrown a lot of players at it, and it doesn't seem to fit. You know, the pieces of the puzzle don't quite fit right now. Um, but there's good stuff in there, you know. When they, when they figure out which players fit where and who should be in charge of them and all this sort of stuff... Um, yeah, yeah, spoiler alert. Between this chat being recorded and me recording this outro, Graham Potter has been fired. So there's going to be someone else's job to figure all of this out. But uh, the future could be bright for Chelsea once the pieces kind of land in a recognizable shape. Again, same as the last time. Big thanks to Betson uh, for supporting this pod and for supporting the, the Lars Resort, of course. But uh, we have got a part three coming with the top ten. Do run out of superlatives a little bit. But there's a there's a lot of positive things to say. Uh, some pretty incredible players to discuss. And an interesting chat about where one of them might end up moving this summer. Hmm. I thought Joe Christian's insights on that were particularly interesting. Uh, stay tuned for that right at the end of the next episode, uh, which will drop on this feed uh, pretty soon. Maybe even tomorrow. I haven't quite worked out how I'm going to do that, but it, it's coming very, very soon. 